Merry Christmas. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas traditions growing up was when my parents would take my brother and I to cut down a Christmas tree every year. We would gather up all of our snow gear, we would meet our cousins, and then we would head down the country roads in the backwoods of Wisconsin to find the perfect tree. We would drink scalding hot cocoa from the farm as they were putting a net around the lucky spruce for transport, and then we would head to the dugout bar. Yes, my parents took us to a bar. for bottles of root beer and a lunch next to the fireplace. It was filled with fried cheese curds and a lot of laughs. Eventually, our tree would make its way home, and usually it had a story to tell. In your own traditions, whether you realize it or not, I would love for you to think about why you love them so much. When you cut through it, I love those Christmas tree cutting days, not because how great my hair looked after being in a hat, freezing until my dad found the perfectly symmetrical spruce, or because the atmosphere of the bar held so much Christmas spirit. It was because we were together as a family, and we could have been anywhere those holidays. We need to allow ourselves the space to be reminded of what Christmas and these Christmas traditions are all about. Our hope is over the next two weeks, we can cut through all the gift wrap, the unending lists and the heightened emotions, and get down to the fact that not only in this season, Jesus is everywhere we go, always. And he is at the core of it. The story of his birth, this ancient Christmas, is imperative to our faith. But this just wasn't a fun Christmas tale that God added into the Bible because he wanted another holiday for himself. No, God's plan was set into the motion all the way back into the beginning. Jesus and this themes about a great rescuer coming into this world were talked about all over the Bible, not just in the New Testament. Throughout the next two weeks, we are going to trace through how the prophecies of the Old Testament came into fulfillment hundreds of years later into Jesus' birth and even uh, continued throughout his life. And what that means for us, Jesus' birth was not a plan B situation. This ancient Christmas was placed right where God meant it to be. What I'm trying to do here is probably cover uh, a series that could last 10 weeks, but we're just going to cover the basics and just touch over the next two weeks in focusing our intentions on the King of Kings. I realize the idea of prophecy can kind of sound a little bit out there and can give us a hesitant approach. Uh, It can be hard for us to grasp or understand because we live in a world where media major corporations, or even people like your Aunt Marge after a couple cups of eggnog, she starts talking about the future, okay? But all of these things are telling us half-truths that never really become fulfilled. True prophecy simply means a prediction or a promise from God that something will happen in the future, There were multiple prophets God used in the Bible, and today we get to view the Bible as a whole. Many people of the biblical times, they didn't even understand what was all going on. And so we get to understand the fulfillment, what is the achievement of something promised. 
The amount of prophecy fulfilled in the Bible is astounding. And if we just look at the prophecies surrounding Jesus's life, the scientific probability that any one person could just fulfill, let's just say eight prophecies, is one in 10 to the 17th power. But Jesus not only fulfilled eight, he fulfilled 48 prophecies that all were written three centuries before he ever came into existence. When I hear that, I want to know what these prophecies were all about. We know that God used Mary. Jesus' mom is an intricate part of his story. 740 years prior to that, the prophet Isaiah explained God's plan and how he was going to use a young girl. There was a king on Jerusalem's throne called Ahaz, and the prophet Isaiah was trying to relay a message to him from God. Isaiah said to him, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah is letting the king know that God, God himself, not another messenger, will be sending a sign a child that means God with us. And notice that there is no timetable that Isaiah puts into place. We are on God's timing, not ours. The Lord is asking an earthly king to put his trust in God to see this through. King Ahaz, if I could describe him in Christmas terms, would be definitely a Grinch, all right? He was not super nice, and probably like us, decided to ignore Isaiah's advice from God and chose to do things on his own terms. Does that sound like anyone you know? Well, God needed a vessel, someone who could fulfill what God told Isaiah long ago. He could have just sent Jesus to earth like Superman in that giant asteroid and it would have hit Bethlehem and the Jerusalem press and the Inquirer would have been there and this whole thing, but he didn't do that. Instead, his way was perfect. It was simple. It was humble as Jesus came into this world. And here's where the story comes into fruition, 700 years later, written for us in the book of Luke. So God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So just imagine you are going about your day, you grab your coffee, your keys, you're about to head out the door, and all of a sudden, this heavenly messenger just appears in your home. I'm sure she was frightened because in other translations of the Bible, he just appears in her house. But he assures her that God is with her. And he went on to say, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and his kingdom will never end. I'm sure her thoughts were racing She was in a little bit of shock. Mary was only 14 years old. She was engaged to Joseph, and culturally, this marriage was arranged and quite normal for that age, and they barely spent any time alone together. And I'm sure she is trying to make sense 
of how among all the women in the whole world, she was chosen to bear the Son of God. And thinking, what are the people of Nazareth going to say? How to explain that this to her soon-to-be husband? This is a pretty quick summation, but we finally get to see the fulfillment of the prophecy take place. The virgin's name was Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. Gabriel ends his time with, for no word from God will ever fail. Something amazing was happening in Mary's heart because in that moment, Mary answers, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am sure this interaction happened in just a few moments, but this encounter sets Mary's life in a whole new direction. From this text, there's a few things that we can learn about this fulfilled prophecy. A secret ambition that I have of mine, and I'm confident will never come into fulfillment, is to be a trapeze artist. (laughs) I have zero upper body strength. So I just choose to imagine these things. But I'm sure you've all seen those kinds of acts at the circus or Cirque du Soleil where one partner gains speed on their trapeze and at some point they choose to let go. They soar through the air and the catcher's job is to grab them the exact moment before gravity takes place. It seems so effortless and strong and at the same time it really represents our lives. When we think of God's timing, we're swinging back and forth and back and forth. And some point, we need to give up the control to let go of what is comfortable and easy. When we choose to release that grass on the trapeze, it's then up to our partner knowing the exact perfect time to grab us. It's God's job to catch us. If all of his prophecies are fulfilled, don't you think that if he calls you his child, you are his number one intent? It's hard for us to live in God's exact and perfect timing because it feels like we can get it done a lot faster. Or we can visualize how something can be accomplished much better. It's tiring, though, being in the struggle of control. So I encourage you, to pick an area of your life and release that back to him. Maybe for you it looks like finances, a certain relationship in your life, the job that we had always dreamed of, health circumstances, anxiety, having the perfect Christmas, expectations of our loved ones. It is hard to release all of these things. But when we do that, we are able to see growth within ourselves and see the beauty of what seems impossible become possible with God. The timing of God's fulfillment was a long way off when Isaiah's prophecy was originally told to King Ahaz. But it's not because God just forgot about it. There are reasons why his timing makes more sense than ours. He understands certain things have to be in place at certain times. Mary probably didn't appreciate the sudden timing of her pregnancy with her engagement, listening to all the hushed whispers as she walked through town, riding a donkey all the way to Bethlehem while she felt like a bloated donkey herself. 
But she chose to let go of her trapeze and said to Gabriel that day, may your word be fulfilled. I'm sure there are questions wondering how this was all going to work out, but she had the confidence realizing God, he was going to catch her in the end. And he's going to catch you too. God chose Mary long ago. And if he noticed Mary, he surely notices us. He wants us to use our life for him. But sometimes we can get caught up with this list of qualifications that come into our minds. Thoughts that I'm not good enough. My life doesn't look any better than it did last month. I'm never going to live up to expectations. And my past It's just too much for my future. How am I ever going to be qualified to live my life for him? My friend and I have talked about this idea many times, how we tell ourselves these narratives, these stories of what is going on in the situation, what that person said, what they didn't say, what you think they meant. Why didn't someone text me back immediately? It's probably something I did, right? Or is it? It's these narratives that consume our thoughts and make us feel like we will never be qualified in God's eyes. Mary was a 14-year-old girl who found favor with God, but like anyone, we are all human. And now God is asking her to birth the Son of God. There's a tremendous weight on her shoulders, and in this moment, but what is to come? This is not going to be a fancy-free life ahead. I'm sure she was thinking, am I going to be the perfect mom to the son of God? Do I break off my engagement because I'm pregnant? Who in the world is going to believe this? And if Mary isn't enough for you to tackle, just think about all the people God used in his birth. The innkeeper, just a hospitality worker, overwhelmed with weekend guests. But he still had the compassion on this young couple to let them use his lowly manger for the night. The shepherds, who had little to no status in the world, their social equivalent was that of a tax collector. They were just a ragtag bunch of guys in the field one night, ready to settle down. But they were the first to hear from the heavenly messengers that the ultimate shepherd, the king of kings, had been born. And Joseph, Mary's fiancé, um... He was just a meager carpenter, tasked with fathering the Son of God. By the world's standards, are any of these people qualified to be part of the birth of Christ, the King of Kings' entrance into this world? No, not at all. But it's in God's eyes we become qualified through him. We get to live out the gospel or what's known as good news of what Jesus is all about, not because of anything that we have done or qualified to do. We get to live out the gospel because of him. God is going to use us, and we are not perfect. I can give you a list of reasons I have totally jacked it up as a Christian, a mom, a friend, a wife since last Sunday. And I'm not going to give you those right now. But because of his grace, God is still going to use me because in his eyes, I am qualified. And he believes the same thing about you. He believes that you are qualified through him too.
after Mary's time with Gabriel, she says, for though I am God's humble servant, God has noticed me. Yeah, he's noticed you. So if this is how he feels about you and you catch yourself feeling unqualified, here's a few ideas so that you can help yourself flesh these out of your mind. It's a process of training our brain to listen to his words, not what the devil loves for you to believe about yourself. One of them is saying them out loud. Hearing them may snap you back out of it, replacing those thoughts with verses or other, others that you find reading in his word. And some examples would be this. When you are feeling anxious and afraid, God tells you, you are not ruled by fear. When you are feeling overwhelmed or chained down by your past, God says, you are free in Christ. When you feel unlovable and not seen, God says, you are chosen and loved. He notices you because before you were ever created, he formed you in the womb and he knew you. Another option would be confiding in a trusted friend, someone that can shine a light on the situation, bring you support, and point you back to him. Finally, instead of writing out that Christmas to-do list tonight, I want you to write out a list of the lies, the hurts, the shame, the thoughts that are rolling around in your mind of how you believe you are not qualified in him. When it's all out there, you should fold it up, throw it away, throw it in the fireplace. It's that physical act that allows you to have these ideas leave your heart and know that God, he was never holding that list against you to begin with. When we have that knowledge of being known and qualified through him, we have the freedom to continue to grow. One other line that stood out to me was when Gabriel said, for no word from God will ever fail. Isn't that comforting? No word from God will ever fail. Because of our human nature, we think about all the people that have broken our promises, disregarded our hearts, and maybe they are going to be at your Christmas dinner. But nothing that God will ever say to us will fail. God stuck to his promise in Jesus, and his word never falters. And the good news is, God will never fail us. Even all the way in the beginning of the Bible, when Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, God was hinting at a promise of a coming redeemer. I recently saw this illustration. It was uh, done by Sister Grace. Um, She lives in Remington, doesn't really matter. She lives in Iowa. And uh, she did this beautiful picture. And I think it's important to look at, if you see Eve, she is miserable in her sin. She's so sad. But the beautiful thing about it is Mary is comforting her. She's pregnant with Jesus. And she knows the fulfillment is coming through him. You can see the horrible serpent binding Eve to her past. However, Mary she smashes it below her feet. In Genesis 3.15, God says to her, to the serpent, the devil, from now on, you and the woman will be enemies, as will your offspring and hers. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. It's the first promise 
in Genesis, all the way back to the beginning, God is saying he will not fail us. He is sending Jesus as our our redeemer who will crush the head of the serpent. It's yet another prophecy fulfilled through Jesus. I know we've gone through a lot this morning, but I hope you're starting to see the wonder of the first ancient Christmas. How God's plan was impeccably pieced together for you. The timing of how life happens is never going to be on our terms. But maybe that's for the best. Allow him, God, to be the king over your life. And when fears of being unqualified rears its ugly head and whispers to us, utilize these exercises to help them be released from your mind. His promises about us are true, and he will not fail you. 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. Yes, we can trust in God's timing, and he will hold us together. Yes, we are qualified through him. Yes, God knows you, and he sees you. Yes, his promises are true and they were fulfilled. Yes, Jesus was born on that ancient Christmas and he will forever be our great rescuer.